the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 3. In the second part of our study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we emphasize the need for believers in Christ to be assured of the gospel message as well as the life, ministry, including the death, resurrection, and ascension, and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, before they can be used by the Holy Spirit to minister on God's behalf to others. We noted that we will not be effective in ministry unless we are fully persuaded or convinced in our hearts that all that has been written of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels are in fact a proper account of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The second aspect of what must happen before the Acts of the Holy Spirit through our lives is the crucial matter of discipleship. We noted that discipleship must precede deeds or acts, recalling that the Lord's last instruction as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew was about making disciples, not just gathering people into buildings. And it was about teaching new believers in Christ his doctrines, not the principles or philosophies of the world. We shall pick up from here in our study today. So let's go to our text. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and verse 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our scripture text makes it abundantly clear that the Lord commanded that his disciples at the time, and by extension, all who would become his disciples, should not just go all over the world preaching, but that they should especially Teach all nations. That's what King James says. Make disciples of all nations. That's New King James. Make them my disciples. That's good news. The emphasis is on teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's the emphasis. So we're going to be looking at before the Acts, part 2.1. It's dot one because there are four things we are going to consider under this second part. Before the acts of the Holy Spirit, through those who have just come to believe in Christ, discipleship must form the bedrock of their activity. They can do other things in the house of God. But the bedrock of the activity must be what? Discipleship. They are being discipled. Regardless of whatever you ask them to do in church, they must be going through a discipleship uh, program. And by discipleship, we mean the teaching of and instruction in the doctrines of Christ. To all those who have come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who not only believe in Jesus, but who have also received him as their Lord. Remember John chapter 1 verse 12. It says, those who received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Not only those who received but those who believed on his name. So, it's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus, but have you received him? And not just receive him as Savior, but you must receive him as Lord. 
there's a very crucial implication of receiving Christ as Lord. You do whatever your Lord says. But when you receive him only as Savior, you are just interested in the salvation of your soul. But let me continue to live as I want to live. That, that is not how it is. You must receive him as your Lord. Now, there is a four-pronged approach to doing this discipleship. The first of which we shall focus on in this study. May the Holy Spirit teach us himself as always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we have read in Matthew chapter 28, and we've looked at the various translations, at least, where, where good, good news says, make them my disciples. Teach all nations whatsoever I have commanded you. I find that in our churches today, there are many things that we are teaching, which is not even what the Lord had commanded us to teach. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, this is Paul writing by the Holy Spirit. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your born servants, for Jesus' sake. When we talk about ourselves, we speak of ourselves as servants of Christ. But when we preach, we preach Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, you will see the, the, the focus of, of the early apostles, the focus of the early church was on Christ. They didn't, they didn't try to do any other thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I was not relying on my eloquence. I was not re relying on my, 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 my personal skills to convince and to change people's minds. My focus was on Christ, on His crucifixion. And I wanted this to be done by the power of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 5. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. There are many of us whose, whose faith is hinged on the wisdom of men, rather than the power of God. Because the men who have spoken to us, have spoken to us from the standpoint of man. They've relied on their eloquence, on the, on, the, on the wisdom that is in them, their craftiness and cunningness to convince, not on the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1 from verse 6 through to verse 12. Galatians 1 from 6 through to 12. Again, Paul writing by the Spirit of God to the Galatian churches. These people were people that he had gone to preach to. He had even discipled them. But then some men began to preach a different doctrine that had nothing to do with Christ. They were preaching the, the, the doctrine of salvation through circumcision. And he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. We, we heard in the, in the course of the exhortation that the danger of not fixing your gaze on Christ is what? You will turn away. These people did not fix their gaze on Christ and what happened? They turned away from the gospel to a different gospel, which is not doctrine, look at it in verse 7, it says, which is not another, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that, than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a born servant of Christ. You cannot be seeking to please men and remain a servant of Christ. You have become a servant of those men that you seek to please. You please only those that you are a servant to. In verse 11, it says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. We have not been called to preach a gospel according to man. In verse 12, it says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to catch this revelation of Christ. That is what we preach. That is what we teach. The revelation that we have caught. We just don't go about there beginning begin to preach what we heard one preacher say somewhere. And then we, don't, we, we, we fall into trouble. There are people who their discipleship program revolves around church doctrine. We are not called to do that. Some others, they, they, their, their doctrine revolves around the founder of the ministry or of the denomination. And yet some others, their doctrine is about the life or the teaching of the pastor. No. Christ is our focus. Matthew chapter 15. These are of people who were teaching for the commandment of God, the doctrines of men. Or rather, for the doctrine of God, the commandments of men. Matthew chapter 15 verse 1 to 9. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. That was their focus. That they were transgressing the, the tradition of the elders. They were not interested in the doctrines of Christ, but the traditions of the elders. Many of us have brought our cultures and traditions into the church and have framed it as though it is the Bible. We, 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 we don't even know how to do anything right anymore. Verse 3, he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Why must the tradition trump the, the, the gospel of Christ? Why must it trump the commandment of God? Why is it that we don't place the commandment of God above our tradition? Above our culture? Why is it that we don't go back home and tell them, Sorry, I am a Christian. We don't do this. Beloved, if you are born again, you belong to a different culture. The culture of, of Christ. Why can we not tell them, I don't belong to your culture anymore. I don't belong to your tradition anymore. Let them disown you. Don't you know that God said, I will never forsake you, nor, I will never, uh, what's the word now? Huh? I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Don't you know that? That's Hebrews chapter 13, I believe. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoso, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, is a gift to God. In other words, instead of giving what you should give to your, to take care of your parents, you take it to church. And you say, it's okay because I've taken it to church. Fulfill your obligations at home, fulfill your obligations to God. What did the Lord Jesus say when they came and, and, and asked them whether they should pay tax? He said, look at you, look at you, 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 you are trying to cut me. Bring that coin 
Whose, whose face is on the coin? They say Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. God does not say, abandon your responsibilities at home. He says, do your responsibility at home. Also do your responsibility to God. Let us not start preaching doctrines that have nothing to do with God. Verse 5. No, verse 6 now rather. Then, he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. The way we are killing the word of God is, 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 is grieving to the spirit of God. Just because we want to do one thing or the other. They say, they say do, not, do not touch my anointed. It's the word of God, but we are now using it. A man is doing something wrong and he's saying, do not touch my anointed. We are not going to beat you, we are not going to touch you. But should we not tell you that what you have done is wrong? Or must we keep quiet because we are the anointed of God? What is going on? So, the disciples that we are raising are now following that, 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 that line also. It's just a matter of time. They too begin to, to pastor churches and they go and pray and say, don't touch or don't talk to us. The pastor is always right. What does the pastor is not always right? Hey, but at least you can hear from other people. Let them tell you something. Pastor, are you sure that thing you did? It will help you. But when you shut yourself out from every, from every council, wherever it is coming, whether it's good or bad, you cannot even tell whether when you are doing something wrong. Take it back to God. Say, Lord, they are complaining about this thing. What should I do? Verse 7. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. I've heard so many people teaching the commandment of men. They, 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 they bring them business methods and other things. And let us believe that that is the word of God. All they just try to do is look for one or two scriptures to back up what they say. Look, the Bible can be used, can be misused, can be abused. And there are people who are very proficient at doing that. And they do it very well. And like we said last week, unless you are assured of what the gospel says, you'll, be, you, you'll follow that. That's why some, everywhere you go to now, virtually every church is about money. But look at what is happening now. The recession has come to throw that doctrine overboard. It doesn't exist anymore. It cannot withstand a recession. Many people have turned into complainers. Even what is sad is that it's the Christians that complain the most. Because they, they were never taught that life changes. They were never taught that there will be this kind of challenges, this kind of times when things will go down. The Bible never promised us a straight course. The Bible tells us about ups and downs in life. But you as a believer, your course must be straight. Regardless of the ups and downs of life, you mustn't be a yo-yo going up and down with life. You will remain who you are in, a, in abundance, who you are in recession. If you are mumbling and crying under this condition, go and check your heart. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. But you can read, you can read up to uh, chapter 7 later. And seeing the multitudes, this is Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. I thought once he saw the multitudes, he would say, ah, opportunity for crusade has come. Let's have another crusade. No! He left the multitude there, he went up to a mountain, his disciples walked up to him there, he sat down, and he began to teach his disciples. That is how crucial it is to teach the new believer. No matter how, how, how boisterous your church is, no matter how massive the church is, no matter how good your programs are, 
If discipleship, the true teachings of the life, the ministry, and the teachings of Christ does not take place in that place, what you have is a social club. In Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. This is, you know the story. It's the story of Mary and Martha. When the Lord Jesus entered into their home, and the first thing that Mary, Martha did after welcoming him was to run around and start preparing things for the Lord to eat. But Mary, her sister, did what? The Bible says she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She sat down to be taught. And Martha was upset. Sir, Master, why don't you just talk to her? Why is she leaving me alone to serve? Tell her to come and join me. Look at what the Lord Jesus said to her in, in verse 41 of Luke chapter 10. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is what? Need, I think the King James says needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. Which will not be taken away from her. Discipleship. Nobody can remove. Once it is in you, you can't, it can't be removed. I thank God for the kind of training I had when I was a young believer. But I feel pain today when I see people who have spent two, three, four years in a church. And have not attended one believer's class. As we went out today, I saw one boy in the shop. And I went to him as I was about to start preaching. He said, oh, he goes to church. And I said, oh, beautiful. So, have you, have you gone through any believer's training? I said, no. Are you born again? Yes. Ah. So, do you have a Bible at home? He said, yes. I said, go and read. Go and read. I gave him some scriptures to me. So, when you are finished reading that, go and start reading the Gospels. You need to know what, what they told you. You mean you, nobody has taught you anything? He said, no. I said, do you know that Jesus is your Lord? I told him, I said, who told you to come and sit in this shop today? He said, his master. I said, now, Jesus is your master. If Jesus tells you to read the Bible, you should be reading it. He's not just your Savior. He's also your Lord. We need to go, as we are going out, we are not just going to see unbelievers. We are going to see people who say they are Christians, but they are not in church. We need to confirm the souls. Talk to them about, about what they ought to be doing. Get them into the word of God. Get them to the place where they are being fed, being taught the very word of God. It is missing in the body of Christ today. This matter of discipleship is so crucial. This teaching, the word of God, is so crucial. In Acts chapter 2, immediately after those souls were saved, the, the 3,000 souls after Peter had preached were saved. Look at what the Bible tells us in verse 41 and 42 of Acts chapter 2. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Many of us would rejoice. Ah, they have come to church. Glory be to God. And that would, that would be them. But look at 42. And they continued how? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Let's stop there. They steadfastly continued in the teachings that the apostles gave to them. These days, people are weary of teachings. We want a church that starts at 10 and ends at 11. Sharp. Maximum 11.30. One and a half. We are happy. We pride ourselves in that. Nobody is taught that way. You can't be taught that way. A teaching must last minimum one and a half hours. Minimum. And that is the man is, the, the, the man just wants you guys to take like an introduction. But when the teaching comes, two hours, three hours, four hours. We heard once how Paul was preaching somewhere. And he talked for how long? The whole night. 
the whole night, Eutychus fell off and, 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 and died. He, he, was, he was raised back up. What is wrong with us now? Our, our attention span is so short. We, we, are, we, are, like, we are like children. We, we can't endure for long. Look at, look at verse chapter 5, verse 32. And let's read it together. Whatever concern you have. One, two, go. As the Christ. Daily. Every day. Please. What, 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 how, how long do we have in church? How, how do we come to church these days? Weekly. Once a week. And we can't endure. Daily. Daily. They went from house to house. In the temple, when people went to the temple, they were teaching. What were they teaching there? Jesus as the Christ. Preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and to the ministry of the The apostles did not leave this matter in the hands of some small boy. And said that you don't, don't, don't go and do discipleship. They took it. They knew it, was, it is our responsibility to teach. In First Timothy chapter 3, the, when the Bible was talking about the, the uh, qualifications for a bishop, he said he must, he must be able to teach. It's not enough to be able to preach. You must also be able to teach with illustration. Teach the very word of God. Correctly, rightly dividing the word of truth. We must be able to teach. In, in Acts 11.26, we've read that before. The Bible says, for one whole year. What were they doing for one whole year? They were teaching. Teaching them the word of God. Teaching them the teachings of Christ. Teaching them about the life of Christ. Teaching them about the ministry of Christ. Teaching them how Christ died. Why he died. His resurrection. His his ascension. The coming impending judgment that is to come. They kept teaching them for one year. And I don't think they were meeting once a week. Every day for one year. 365 days. Or to go by their calendar, 360 days. They were teaching. But we are getting tired. Getting tired of teachings. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. We read this last week. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They, they, they preached and did what? Made disciples. We have said that. How do you make a disciple? By teaching. By teaching the word of God. You just keep teaching. You just keep teaching. You just keep teaching. I saw something in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. Let me, let, let, let's go there. Very briefly. Matthew 13 verse 52. Then he said, that is Jesus Christ said, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Every one of us who is engaged in teaching the word of God must be able to teach from both the new and the old testament. We must be able to marry the two. 
We cannot drop one and pick the other. Trump one up and drop the other. No. We must be able to bring illustrations to teach. It is, easy, it is easier to teach university students than it is to teach kindergartens. I hope you know that. The, one of the easiest things to do is to preach. But when it comes to teaching, it's painstaking. And that's what the Lord has called us to do. It is not something you just do with the wave of a hand. In Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. Verse 8 to 10. And he went, this is is Paul now, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. For how long? Three months. Reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Three months in the synagogue. And I'm sure he was doing it every day, not only on Sabbath. Look at verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning how long? Daily in the school of Tyrannus. And somebody says that we don't need full-time ministers, brother, in the New Testament, we need them more. We need them more. How does he do this daily? If he's carrying briefcase to be, to be running business all over the place. This is the work. This is what we are called into. Verse 10. And this continued for how long? Two years, every day for two years, 720 days. Is it any wonder that such a man was used by God to write almost half of the epistles that we find in the New Testament? He sold himself out to that thing. He was not running from one pillar to the other post trying to preach everywhere. He had a focus. He just gathered the disciples out away from the confusion, put them in one place, and every day they were being taught. Is it any wonder that the church of God is weak? There are no teachings. I told you this before. How when we returned from the States and we saw how people were living and we, we prayed and said, Lord, what's going on? The Lord said, nobody's teaching anybody anything. That's why the church is where it is today. I said, Lord, what do we do? He said, you go and teach. That's why we are doing what we are doing. We are not doing church. I'm not interested in the kind of church that people are. No. We are here to teach, to raise men up. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in where? Asia is a region. We are talking of Asia Minor, covering Galatia, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. How was that possible? Because as he was teaching these disciples, they were also going out and spreading the same word. What they were being taught, they were teaching others. The whole region was covered in a space of two years. We say, go and decide, go, go outside and let us, let us evangelize. It's a problem. Everybody wants the comfort of coming into a church building on, on Sunday morning. We sit down, one man preaches, we, cl- we close our Bibles, we go home. We are, we are done for the day. In fact, we are done for the week. We return next week. Is that what the Lord called us to do? We are called to disciple, to teach every new believer must be taught about Christ. In Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 12 to 14. Hebrews 5 from 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Let's pause there. Who ought to be teachers? The people who was writing to. Those of us who are sitting down here. I say it. If you have been a believer for at least two or three years, maximum three years, you ought to be teaching people the word of God. Because in those three years, those first three, you ought to have been taught enough to teach other people. But many of us cannot stand when the word of God is being, is, is being, is, is being, is, is being, is being slandered. We cannot be apologetics for the word of God. Because we don't know. Nobody has taught us anything. Our understanding of church is to go to church. We have a, 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 fix, a, fixa- a fixation. 
a, 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 pre, a predetermined thing that we are going to do. We go to church, we sing praise and worship, we give our offering, drop a fat tithe, let the pastor know that I, I gave this tithe, shake hands with one or two people, make one or two contacts, and then we go home. And we continue on Monday to live in sin. That's not it. You are called to teach. Is there anybody who can teach if he's not a good learner? It means you must be a good learner before you can be able to, to teach. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Who takes milk? Who takes milk? Babies. Adults take solid food. You still need to be taking milk. Why? You are babies. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There's a skill about the word of righteousness. Being able to divide it. The Bible talks of the word of God being sharper than a double-edged sword. So it's a double-edged sword, but sharper than even a double-edged sword. It can, if you don't know how to handle it, it can slice you. You must be able to know how to handle it. Some of us are holding the word by the blade and cutting ourselves. People talk of faith as though faith is tied only to what I want to get. Faith is always in God. It's not in things. It's in God. You have faith about something, it must be tied to God. But we only have faith when it is something that we want. That ought not to be so. That's an, a man who is unskilled in the word of righteousness. A man who is unskilled in the word of righteousness would, would, would twist the word of righteousness just because he wants to get something done for himself. Verse 13 again, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of what? Use. Application. Experience. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you are not applying the word of God, you will not know how to discern effectively where this is going to lead you to. Whether it's going to lead you the right way or the wrong way. And then we go to chapter 6. From verse 1 to 3. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity. We need to grow. But the starting point is what? The elementary principles of Christ. The first principles of the oracles of God. That is the starting point. When we have matured there, then we move on to perfection. We move on to maturity. This is what we call new believers class. And where is it there? It says, not laying again. The foundation of repentance from dead works. Please, I want you to note. This is not repentance from sin. Repentance from sin is what, we, is what brought us in. We are now in. This is repentance from what? Dead works. And of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. There's a plural in baptisms. There are more than one baptism. Of laying on of hands. Of resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. We will move on to maturity by the grace of God. But we must start, we must start well. The foundation must be right. I doubt there are many Christians who understand that this is the first principles of the oracles of God. You repent from sin. Good. Then you must now move on to this basic foundation. Christ is the bedrock. And then we now build on Christ the bedrock. Repentance from dead works. Go to the website, tic.org. When you get there, click on Word Center. When you get to Word Center, you will see, when, when Word Center comes up, you will see so many things. Go to Outlines. Under Outlines, you will see 
personal Bible study slash, I think, personal Bible class, small group study. Click on that. When you click on it, you will see some topics. One of the topics is Christian Foundation Doctrines. Click on that. You will see 31 studies that we did. We did for 31 weeks in TIC here. At that time, it was take home. We will bring it on a Sunday. People will take it home to study from Monday to Friday or thereabout. Then on Saturday, we had meetings. Some of you here went through that. 31 weeks. Go there. Pick out the studies and start doing it for yourself. We don't have to. If you want to do it, we will stop everything we are doing now. And I, I, I tell you the truth, we are going to teach you for the next one year. In Psalm 11, verse 3. Psalm 11, verse 3. Bible says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Remember, when God said, when I bring disaster to a, to, to a, to a, a, a nation or to a land, and then he mentioned three names. He said, if these people are there, Noah, Job, and Daniel, only by their righteousness will they be saved. No other person will be saved. If the foundations are destroyed, only the righteous will be able to escape. Here he's talking about foundations of society. But we want to extrapolate the very foundation of your Christian life. If it is destroyed, if it is not properly laid, if it is not well built, sorry, that is how you are going to go like a yo-yo and you will never make it as a believer. No matter how many years you have been in church. That is why it is important that a solid foundation is laid. A solid foundation must be laid. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9. And then 11 to 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. The Bible says that we are. It says you are God's building. You are God's building. And then it says. I have, as a master builder I have laid a foundation. No other foundation can any man lay. But that which has already been laid. Christ Jesus. So but be careful. How you lay. How you build on that foundation. We must build the proper thing. Christ is the bedrock. The very first foundation must be repentance from dead works. Here we are talking of people who have, who have confessed. They have repented from sin. They are, they are not, we are not talking about sin anymore in, in, in their lives. We are moving on. Repentance from dead works. That's what we are talking of here. People who have repented. People who have turned away. To, to repent is what? To turn away from something which is wrong and turn on to something which is right. To repent is to change your mind. To have a change of heart. How many of us have changed in our hearts? Even on the matter of sin, not to talk of the matter of dead works. Matthew chapter 4 verse 12. Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 and verse 17. Matthew 4, 12 and 17. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. He didn't go to try and get, uh, what's his name? John the Baptist out of prison. In verse 17 he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at... That word repent. Who has living Bible or amplified? Please. From that time Jesus began to preach. Crying out. Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind for the better. Heartily amend your way. Amend your ways. With prohibition of your past sins. With what? With the, prohib- with the abhorrence of your past sins. Abhorrence, hate sin. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn, change your mind. Change your ways. You cannot continue to walk in the same way and say you have repented. Is there another person with living Bible? Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. The living Bible. Okay, 
from, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Turn from sin and turn to God. Turn from sin and turn to God. That's but repentance. For the kingdom of for heaven, the kingdom of heaven is turn, to, to, turn away from sin and turn on to God. Change your mind. Let there be an abhorrence, a hatred for sin. That's true repentance. Now when we talk of repentance from dead works now, we are saying that if you turn away from... The, what are dead works? Dead works are things that lack the life of God. What is it that lacks the life of God? Anything that God did not breathe on lacks the life of God. You can start a church which God did not ask you to start. That is dead works. As wonderful as it may seem, it is dead works. You may be gathering souls into a church in the wrong way. It is dead works. If you like, hold the free medical services. Let thousands of people be flocking there. It is dead works. Because it lacks the life of God. You are using the methods of the world. The method of the world does not bring the righteousness of God into people's lives. We must repent from that. that is the very foundation. So when people don't even have that at the back of the... When, when that is not the basis on which they are even serving God. Please tell me, what is their Christianity? Absolutely nothing. Because they will continue to do dead works till they die. And have you, have you tried to stay near anything that is dead for some time? And that is the person that wants God to come near him. It's not possible. You have not turned away from dead things. You are living amongst dead things. I've heard people who, who talk about having dreams. And they, they, they find themselves waking up in a cemetery. You know what God is saying? You are doing dead works. Get out of dead works. You are in the congregation of the dead. And then after you have repented from dead works, you now turn to God in faith. Faith towards God. Not, to, no, not, not connections. But God. And the Bible talks about the doctrine of baptism. These are the fundamentals, the foundational parts of the Christian life. If they are not in you, brother, sister, you are not a Christian. You are a babe, unskilled in, righteous, in the words of righteousness. You can't do anything, even if you are a preacher. Your message doesn't mean anything. That's why you can preach and fornicate. You can preach and be a homosexual. You can preach and steal. You can preach and be proud and arrogant. Because the very foundation of the Christian life has not been taught you. Can you, can you please picture somebody who says he's a professor and he cannot add one and one equals two? What kind of professor is that? That is the ABC of life. One plus one equals two. A, B, C, D, up to Z. Two letter words. An. A-N. An. A-M. Am. A-T. At. O-N. On. You cannot construct one sentence without grammatical error. And you say you went to school. What school did you go to? And we have that. Sadly, we have that today. We have school teachers who cannot say one sentence of English right. One sentence of English right. We have university graduates that cannot write O with a bottle. You know the bottle is round. What do you do to write O with bottle? Just stamp it on the thing. They can't write O with the bottle. What we are telling you is that they are dunces. We have that in Christendom. People think that because they can sort and get a degree, that you can also sort in the church. You can't. Are you going to sort God? Does God take bribe from anybody? This is the way. Faith towards God. Faith is always towards God. Not towards things. The only time many of us remember that we should exercise faith is I'm believing God for a car. I'm believing God for a house. We don't exercise faith in terms of this fellow must be saved. No. Say, so, yeah, well, that is in the hands of God. But we are not believing God for that. Only for what we want.
Then there's the baptism, the doctrine of bapt- the teachings on baptisms. There are four baptisms, and they are scriptural. What we call the baptism into the body. That is the spirit of the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes us into the body. I don't. We don't have time to look at it. You find that in First in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where it says that we are baptized into the body by the same spirit. We have one spirit. We are baptized into one body by one spirit. Then there's what we call the Christian baptism, or what many people call water baptism. That is essentially what we do after we have, we have, we are making a declaration. We are telling everybody, I am born again. What I am doing now is my initiation, that I have have said goodbye to the world forever. In those days, they did it at the same time as when they repented. Why? John the Baptist had laid the basis of that. Do you understand? John came baptizing many unto righteousness, but told them to believe on him who was to come, that is Jesus Christ. So because that was already there, they were able to baptize them at the same time in Christian baptism. But for many of us who are Gentiles, we can do that. We need to let people make up their minds that indeed we want to serve God. By the time we start teaching them about suffering, teaching them about the truth that is in the word of God, and they say that it's not an easy thing, we now ask, do you still want to be baptized? He say yes. On, 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 the, on the road to... Was it when the, what's that man's name now? The Ethiopian minister. You remember when he was returning? Nobody taught him about baptism. He knew it because he used to go there. He used to go to Jerusalem for so many things. And so we, we assumed that he knew because they didn't discuss it. He now said, But this is water. Can't you baptize me? He said, Do you be-? He asked him, Do you believe that? He said, I believe. What more? Okay, enter the water and let's baptize you. There are many people who say they are Christians. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Like one man of God said, if you go for such a baptism, you will go in a, wet, a, a, a dry sinner, you will return a wet sinner. That's all. You are still a sinner. Nothing has changed in you. You see people, look at, look at politics. When a politician has, has crossed carpet, is it the day that they, they bring he, he and his group, come with their, whether they are carrying broom or they are carrying umbrella, whichever it is, whichever party they join. Is it that day that they changed to that party? No. But that was the day they made a public declaration that we are in this party. They owned up to everybody so that all eyes can see that they have changed parties. That is what water baptism is. That I have left the world and now in Christ forever. Then there's this baptism into the Holy Spirit. That is, that is, that is where we have the expression of tongues. We talk of the expression of tongues. That is where you are dipped into the Spirit of God. In other words, the Spirit of God is now supposed to be moving you. You are not the one moving yourself anymore. You are being stirred by the Spirit of God. And finally, there is the baptism of suffering. Christ made clear that we don't, we don't teach those things. That's why people think that Christianity is about building house and driving car. There is the baptism of suffering. Where he told them, he said, can you go through the baptism wherewith I am going to be baptized? He said, eh, we, I said well, surely you will go through it. We must go through it. Then there's a doctrine on laying, of, laying on of hands. You don't just let anybody lay hands on you. Do you go to another man's house and tell another man to lay hands on you? Do you go to another man's house and say, lay hands on me? You don't do that. It's your father who will lay hands on you. But every day people run from one church to the other, hey, lay hands on me. Hey, please sir, please sir, hey, just bless me. Why do you do that? Do you have a relationship with the fellow? When we talk of laying on hands, we're talking of Pronouncing a blessing. We are talking of ordination. The Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. You don't ordain people just anyhow. Do you know them? This is what we do. Is we just bring a long list of people and we, and we present it and people have been ordained. The man who wrote the list is questionable. 
So what, what, what names has he brought forth? And then they, they have the ordination and we say they are pastors. And they are, they are smoking in their name. They are sleeping with women in the church. Married or unmarried. Stealing money. Living arrogantly. Empty of the word of God. And we say they are pastors. Sending the sheep to people who will slaughter them. And destroy their lives. How can that be? The work of God. Then there is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Many of us don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why the moment we hear medical reports, oh, pastor, pray, pray that I don't die. Maybe let the doctor come and tell me that I'm going to die. Except God permits it. It's okay. I know where I'm going to. If God does not permit it, the doctor, his report doesn't mean anything. But we don't know that. So everybody wants to continue to That is why you have preachers who are teaching us how to live on earth, how to remain on earth, how to continue to do things on the earth, and so on and so forth. Because they don't believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. If they did, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be wasting our time asking people to acquire things on the earth. Go to Europe and see the cathedrals that they built in Europe. Empty. Gradually turning to mosques, turning to shopping malls, and so on and so forth. We have not learned. Now we want to build the largest auditorium in Africa. This is going to become a mall. Because we have spent money building concrete. But we have spent nothing building the lives. And you say to those, you, you, you think God is looking at it? When they were telling the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, ah, let us take you around. Look at this, look at this massive temple. You know we spent so and so years. He said to them, you see this temple? Not one stone will be resting on top of the other. By the time it is through with it. When Titus went into Jerusalem, he made sure, he gave the instruction, not one stone is to be found on the other of this temple. Bring it down. You think God is going to fight on that one? God's focus is on the soul of man. What have we done about building souls? Nothing. But we spend millions building auditorium. And then after we have built the auditorium, we now need those people to be in there to fund the auditorium. Because it costs money to maintain now we must now begin to cajole them on how to bring money out, how to do this. Our evangelism is tilted towards people who can bring the money to fund our pet projects. God did not ask us to build those auditoria that we are building all over the place. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Righteousness of God is revealed how? It's a, everything about God is faith. That's why Paul said, how did you start in faith? And now you want to begin to, to live by works. Even the, the works that we manifest, they are works of faith. You don't just bring works. No, they are works of faith. Why am I going to prisons? To preach to, to, to prisoners. Because by faith, I know that God said I should go and preach to them. Not because I have a brother there. Some people don't do anything until they have a relative who has gone through it. So suddenly they are Christians. They say, I'm, I'm going through, I, I, I have a revelation, I have a vision to, to have a foundation for this, for this particular thing. Only because they have a relative who has, who's going through that. When they didn't have a relative who was going through that, they didn't care a hoot about that thing. Did God ask them to do it? Absolutely not. They, they, they want to do it. Did Mary Slesser have a relative in Calabar when she came? Did she not even know that they were killing twins when she came? She came because God sent her to go there. She lived and died here. The just shall live by faith. What does that mean? Your life 
if indeed you say you are righteous, indeed if you say you are justified, every step of your life is what? Faith. Faith. You can't live any other way. It's by faith. But that's not where we are going to. Because this is where we love. But let's go to the next verse, 18. And you will see some very interesting. It says, For the wrath of God is what? Revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Everybody who lives in sin, the wrath of God is upon that person. So when we call men to salvation from sin, we are saying to them, run away from the judgment of God that is upon sin and all sinners. Look at verse 19. It says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Even though they knew there is God, they chose their own ways. They did not want to have anything to do with God. People must be told, this is the message of salvation. They must be told to turn away from sin and turn to God. Brethren, dead works is sin. And people must turn from such. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 from verse 7 to 14. The reason why we are trying to spend some time on the matter of repentance is because I have discovered that many people who say, I am a Christian. I go to church. But I don't see repentance. It's not even, it's not even clear. Because repentance can be seen. But I don't see it. Many of us still dress the way we dressed before we became born again. Nothing, it's not as if we don't have the financial muscle to change our wardrobe. We just continue. We still lie the way we lied. The way we cheat people. The way we cheated people before we got born again. We are still cheating more even now. So we need to emphasize what repentance truly means. Luke chapter 3, 7 to 14. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. This is John the Baptist. Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why was John the Baptist calling them brood of vipers? Why do you think he was calling them brood of vipers? Because there was no change in them. They, they, were, they were vipers before they came. They were vipers after. Well, not, not, a, not an iota of change in their lives. They were vipers going in. They were vipers coming out. Nothing had changed. That's why he called them brood of vipers. They remained Pharisees. There was no repentance in their lives. Verse 8. Therefore, this is why he said, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I saw somebody today. As I was trying to preach, he, he, he sat down comfortably saying, No, don't worry, don't worry. That uh, he's just coming from church. I said, So... Which church do you go to? Oh, I'm a redeemer. I said, you cannot be a redeemer. You cannot be a redeemer. You are redeemed as we are redeemed. And you worship in the redeemed Christian church of God. So don't be using that. What do you mean by redeemer? I'm not a redeemer. 
You know, people use all kinds of expressions. And these are because they, we don't know anything. The, the, these words, don't, they're not worthy to us anymore. Christ is the only redeemer. So how does somebody wake up and say, I'm a redeemer? How do you, how do you get up and, and make such a statement? Because we don't know. I, I couldn't blame the young man. Do you know what they, have, what they, have, what, what they tell him in, in, in the parish that he's attending? Do you know what they say to him? We make all kinds of things, all kinds of statements. One person says, I'm a winner. I'm deeper. The man who says deeper is shallow. The man who says a winner is defeated. I mean, what, 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 what are we doing? It's not about your church. That's why we say, you don't teach church doctrine. The doctrine is in the Bible. As we, when we get into the heat, into the heart of the acts, you will see that what we call churches today are not churches. They cannot stand what God calls churches. They can't stand near what God calls churches. What we have are human empires breaking into branches. There are no branches in church. Church is church. When we get into that, you will see, maybe, I don't know when we are going to get there, but you will see what the church really is. What we have is not the church. We, have just, we, just, have, we just have empires being built around men. Let the founder die. You will see the church. You will start winning. You will start winning. You will start winning. The true church remains. Doesn't matter. There's, no, there's nobody called the founder in the true church. Christ is the, is the founder of every true church. Verse 9. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We heard when your when when gaze is not fixed on Christ, you will not be able to bear fruit. Do we have fruit bearing believers? Look at verse 10. So the people asked him, that is John, saying, what shall we do then? There is a doing to be, there is something to be done because repentance can be seen. What did John say to them in verse 11? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Don't take bribes. Verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. He's been there since. Policemen can never be content with their salaries. If they like, let them pay them one million naira a month. They, they will still take bribe. Because their hearts are not changed. There's nothing you can do about it. The solution to the problem of the world is a change of hearts. Christians don't have change of hearts. That's why they can go to church and be, be praying fire brimstone on their enemies, who is also a believer. That's why you can have churches not cooperating, but in competition. I heard once a, a, a pastor, don't mention churches there, a pastor was talking about, oh, this particular church, they are building, oh, they are, they are what do you call it now? They, they, uh, they, they are acquiring land. Just buying land, they are buying land. We also will start acquiring land. It's not competition. You don't know what the other fellow is doing that is able to buy land. And it may not be anything to do with the, with, with the, with the work of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 8 to 11, again Paul writing by the Spirit of God, is talking about what true rep- repentance represents. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, because he had written a letter to them, and he felt that the letter was too strongly worded, and that the way he had worded that letter, he, he wasn't too, you know, he wasn't too happy with it, because he felt it was going to make them sad. But he now says, for even... If I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle, that same letter, 
made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow did what? Led to repentance. There must be sorrow for sin, for repentance to take place. I see people, not, they're not even bothered about the sin. They say, I've repented. How do you repent when there's no sorrow for your sins? For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces what? Repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There are many people who are sorry after a worldly sort and it leads to death. You cannot say that you are sorry for something and you keep doing that same thing. Are you really sorry? It is crucial because it is the absence, this is what is missing in the body today. There are many people who have not gone through repentance of a, of a, of, 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 that, that has sorrow attached to it. We are not sorry that we sinned against God. We are only sorry that we were caught. A man has been living a reckless life. Then he contracts AIDS. And they say, if you go to church, they will be able to heal you. Jesus will heal you. So he runs to church. What does, what does he come to church for? To be healed. Is he, is he sorry for that? What, what brought him to you? No. There's no sorrow for sin. And then we now pronounce to the man, you are saved. And the man says, I'm saved. There's nothing you can tell me. I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. How do you know that? And you are living like a sinner still. Brethren, we need to take seriously what God has called us to do. It is the lack of teachings that is making sinners comfortable in the church. By the time you start teaching, a sinner cannot be comfortable in that church. He must get out of that church, especially when you are teaching the word of God. He will either get out of that church or he will change while he remains there. The reason why our churches are so massive today is because we are tolerant of sin. If you are not tolerant of sin, the church cannot be as big as it is today. I make bold to pronounce that, to make that statement. It cannot be as big as it is today. Because the flesh cannot stay where sin is being chopped. And there are too many fleshly people inside the church. Otherwise, the way we dress on Sunday will tell you whether these people are still in the flesh or a change has taken place in their lives. Women come all painted up to church to do what? Men come wearing clothes that, that I don't even know what, what kind of clothes we are wearing these days. When we were going, I told us, I said, this is taking uh, sagging to a different dimension. You will see people with, you will see men's buttocks and their privates because they are sagging. What are, you, what are they doing? These were things that were protected when we were growing up. Suddenly it's easy. Very soon people will be walking naked and they say it's normal. How can that be? And they sag to church. John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. In him that is in Christ was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in, dark, in the darkness. And the darkness can, did not comprehend it. Dead works lack the life of Christ. And so there can be no light in, it, in, in dead works. Dead works only have darkness. A, a, how, how does a whole church service revolve around we give a car to this person we are going to give uh, people who, are, who want to get married, we are going to pay for their marriage how can church revolve around that that's dead works all you can get out of that thing is darkness how, where please tell me which church, tell me read it from the gospels read it from the acts, read it from the epistles and tell me where you read that 
Christ or his disciples gave anybody assignment. What is assignment? What is assignment? Please let somebody tell what is assignment? Because people go to church only for one thing. God has become utilitarian. What can I get? That is all. No sorrow for sin. No repentance of sin. We are not, we are not, we are not even sorry that we have offended God. There is so much excitement when we sin. We are happy. Then when there is a problem, we, that's when we become sorrowful. And we start looking, oh, we need to go to another church. Not, nothing is happening here. That's why I'm suffering. Since I come to this church, I've been suffering. He doesn't look at himself to find out what life, what, is he, what kind of life is he living. How can, how can a Muslim Elijah be comfortable to come to your church for your, for your monthly prayer meetings and still go back to the mosque and then return the following month for your prayer meeting again and go back to the mosque? You're not doing the right thing. Something is wrong. How can politicians be comfortable to sit in your, under your ministry, under administration and return to do evil and come back the next month and continue to hear your word and go back and continue to do evil? Nothing has changed in their lives. Something is wrong somewhere. We are doing something wrong. Or those people are not interested in God. The sooner the word of God comes upon them so that they can flee from the presence of God, the better that will make other people say, is that I will follow this Jesus or let's get out of the place. But when you see a man who is withholding people's salaries in church, he is collecting salary, he is giving fat donations to the church, but he is not paying his workers in the, in the state salary, he is a governor, he goes to a program. And whether in secret or in public, he is not told that what you are doing is wrong, and he comes again and again and again and gives testimony that this is a man of God and is still wicked in the state, that man is a sinner, that pastor, I'm sorry to say, something is wrong somewhere. We must all, all of us who say we are pastors, we must all be held accountable for such things. Especially when it's not something done in secret. They tell you your, work, your, your minister is in a second marriage. And you say, uh, adventure. You didn't tell him to get out of that marriage. If he's, your, if he's truly your minister under you, who is obeying you, tell him, leave that marriage and go, and go back to your first wife. If he cannot do that, get out of the church. You are an unbeliever. You have no business here. Go and cry to God for, Lord, I'm sorry I ordained this man at all. But no. The, you see, the way we treat sin, we make people feel that God doesn't care about those things. That's why somebody can say, God is not interested in how you look. He's just looking at the heart. The heart. What we see outside is what is inside your heart. The Bible says, out of the heart comes what? Proceeds what? Murders, abuse, covetousness. So, whatever we're seeing outside came from the heart. If you're dressed like a prostitute, in your heart you're a prostitute. Otherwise, you wouldn't dress like that. If you, are a, if you are reviling men, in your heart, you are a reviler. Otherwise, you will not be able to revile. If you are proud and arrogant outwardly, in your heart, you are proud and arrogant. That's why we, what we are seeing out is what was inside. Matthew chapter 20, 20 to 28. This was where the mother of Zebedee's sons came and told Jesus, I, Please, in your kingdom, let my sons, one sit on the right, the other on the left. Do you see how competition started? There were 12 of them, but two wanted to sit right and left. So, every other person would be after James and John. And for this particular purpose, James was not ready to sit next to, to John or vice versa. They wanted to sit on either side of Jesus. All the others can now sit next. Disciples were indignant. So what kind of thing is this? The Lord said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism? He said, ah, we will, we will, we will. Many of us will make commitments that we don't even understand. The Lord told them, you will surely drink of that cup. I'm sure they didn't understand until James was beheaded. They are going to drink, you will drink of that cup. You want to sit on the right hand of Christ and on the left hand of Christ? 
Get ready for beheading. Get ready for torture. It doesn't come cheap. Do you, let me ask you a question. You want to sit next to Christ. Where do you want Paul to be? Where do you want Peter to be? Where do you want James to be? Where do you want John to be? What have you done to compare to what they have done? So you, are, you want to unseat them. Do you see the, the level of greed in our hearts as it's pushing us? We don't, want, we don't want the thing that will take us there, but we want to be there. The labor, the prayer, the insults. You don't know that to, be, to honestly be a church leader, you must be ready for insults. We are just trying to protect ourselves from being insulted. Insult is part of it. It comes with it. It's a total package. People will drive their cars and splash water. Your congress will splash water on you. You are, to, you are not supposed to get angry and say, you mean you are pouring water on your pastor? Don't be angry. It's part of it. It comes with the territory. That's part of the work. Let's tell it as it is. But look at what the Lord Jesus said when the others were indignant. In verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You know who a slave is? Boy, boy. Let's use the right word. Boy, boy. These days, houseboys even have dignity. A slave is lower than a houseboy. You can tell him to go and wash toilets. He, he cannot even complain. He does it. That's what the Bible says. I've heard so many messages. You are going to be great. This is greatness. Whoever will great are you amongst you, what should you be? Eh? Should be boy boy. You want to greatness is not in driving a car. Greatness is not in living in a mansion. This is greatness. Look at verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Brethren, this is the this is the baptism of suffering. You are called to be to give your life a ransom for many. They are not called to live above them. You are actually called to live beneath them. They are above. You are beneath. We don't have time to go into the scriptures. I will show you several scriptures. Even one of them in which Paul lamented and said, well, it appears God has decided that we are going to be the, the dregs of society to, to, be, to be laughed at so that you people can enjoy. But what do we have today? The members are the dregs. We are the ogres. I'm yet to see pastors who will forgo things for their congregants. Today, the congregants must forgo for the pastors. Pastors will use the funds of the church to build a school and the school, they are the owners of that school. And then the members of that church cannot, their children cannot go to those schools. The Pentecostals want to do school and their schools are more expensive than even some private schools. Something is wrong somewhere. They were never, many of these people were never discipled. But today they are principals in our secondary schools. They are MDs in organizations that we own. I heard that one pastor had so many jets, he was considering starting a, an airline business. What have you got to do with airline business? What are you doing with so many planes? They give you planes, sell the thing off. Use it for the gospel. Send it, you don't know have anything to do. Look, there are many churches in this country, abroad, that would, will do $1,000 is all they need. 
Souls will be, you will be seeing souls one. But we don't do that. If we want to give that $1,000, our church must go there. We have built powerful administrative structures. We are just like the world. If you go to any organization, operations people are the least paid. The admin people are the highest paid. It is happening in the church. A pastor on the field who is signing tight checks to send to the headquarters cannot pay the school fees of his children. But every month he will be looking at millions flying out. When will he not rebel? I told them once, when I was in, when, when I was in, in, in one of such churches, I said, look, pastors will steal money and God will not do anything to those pastors. You can cost from now till tomorrow. None of them will drop dead because you are wicked. Your policies are wicked and evil. How do you, how do you want this man? So much money is coming from his church to you. But he cannot pay his children's fees and you say he shouldn't take money to pay. He will take the money. God, nothing will happen to him. The Bible says, do not muzzle the ox that treads the flock. It's in the Bible. And Paul asked, do you think God was talking to ox? No. He was, if you will not muzzle an ox, don't muzzle a human being. How does somebody do the work of God? But he cannot take care of his family. Many children of pastors don't want to hear church because of the evil that their churches have done to their fathers. Many pastors' wives are in full-blown rebellion against the church. Bottom line, there was no foundational teaching. The foundation was wrong. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Nothing. You know what? You need to go back to the foundation and start breaking them down. And begin to rebuild the proper foundation. Acts 14, 21 to 22. We read 21 earlier on. We're going to read 22 now. After they had... Um, made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In 22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, this part of our work, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying what? We must. We don't? We what? Not we may. We must. Through many, not some, many tribulations, enter the kingdom of you have not passed through tribulation and you say you are going to enter the kingdom of God. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through to 18. Romans 8, from verse 16 through to verse 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Everybody will say, Amen. Good. If indeed we suffer, is that in your Bible? You are only an heir and a joint heir with Christ. If indeed, if indeed in your actions, if by the way you are living, you are suffering with Christ, that we may also be glorified together with Him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory is not here. So I don't understand. You know, sometimes I see some church things and I'm wondering, who are you talking to? Oh, you are, you are marked for glory. Where on earth? There's no glory on the earth here. There's no glory here. Anybody who tells you that you are, you are seeing glory here, he hasn't seen anything yet. Then we means that when he sees the real glory, he will, he will die. Moses wanted to see God. God said, no man can see me. And live. And I still need you alive. 
Only dead, only people, only Christians who are dead and have served can see the glory of God. The few people, at least that, that, that we can look at and say, we can consider this to be authentic, who said they went to heaven and they were shown certain things, they dare not say that they saw Christ. You can't see his face. You're a sinner. You can't see his face. What, who, who, who dash you to see his face? For what? That's why some of those stories, we, we can tear them aside. You couldn't have seen his face. See John, the elder, when he saw Christ in the Revelation. This is somebody who had gone through several tribulations and, tempta- and sufferings and whatever. He said it was as if he was dead. It's Christ that Peter said, stand up. But we see people who talk as if, ah, in fact, we're, we're, we're holding shoulders when we're going. It was Satan they saw. It's not Christ. They didn't see an angel. They, they say angel, you, you think they will be able to stand? Have you seen the height of an angel? You can't see an angel and stand. They can't. Have you seen the, 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 the description of the angels that uh, John gave? And even Ezekiel gave? They had four faces. You will see a, a, a being with four faces, you won't faint. You, you can't survive. One face, the face of a man, another, the same head. One side facing the face of a man. The other side, the face of a lion. The other side, the face of an eagle. The other side, the face of an ox. You won't faint. You see six wings. You won't faint. Even if you see a massive, a massive butterfly, you will collapse. Not to talk of a, a, a danger. They don't know what they are talking about. And that is because we have given them a cheap gospel. We have told them that the gospel is a gospel of pleasure. A gospel of enjoy. That's why the Bible says, in the last times, this is what you are going to find. They will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's what we are preaching to them. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. I need to drum this into our heads. Because our, our heads have been filled with stories of enjoyment. So let me show you what the, what the Bible says. First Peter chapter 4, from verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. Is that in your Bible? Which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. This recession is a fiery trial. It mustn't be considered strange. Some of the things we are going through that you didn't cause for yourself. They are, they are fiery trials that you must go through. So they lied against you. It's part of your fiery trial. After all, they lied against Joseph. A, 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 a preacher once said that he, he, he used to minister to prostitutes. And then one of the prostitutes, he was a married man. One of the prostitutes lied against him that uh, he slept with her. And the man said he did it. And, nobody, and people were not believing. A few people, you know, some people did not believe him. But his wife believed him. So he went one morning and was crying to God, Oh Lord, deliver me. What kind of wahala is this? Can you see what this girl is saying? Please Lord. He said, God asked him, Do you know the story of Joseph? He said, Yes. And God asked him, Who believed Joseph? He said, No one. God said, Does your wife believe you? He said, yes. You see, you are in, you're in better footing than Joseph. Verse 13. But what? Rejoice! To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Remember one scripture that was read. I don't know who read it. Whether it was Barry or Sister Grace who read it. About when they were beaten for, for preaching. The, and that they rejoiced that they were able to suffer. Say rejoice insofar as you are suffering for Christ. But we don't rejoice. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. How do you tell a sinner, you are blessed? 
You are blessed. You are blessed. These are the people who are blessed. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part is blasphemed, but on your part is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. If they call you a witch there, you are indeed a witch. It's not suffering for Christ. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin where? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Is that in your Bible? Is it the will of God for you to suffer? Let those of you who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit your soul to God. We must tell the disciple that the man we are discipling, suffering is part of it. Ha, ah, bro, since I gave my life to Christ, in fact, the challenges of life is as if they... Let me show you some scriptures. It is... It is in accordance with the will of God for you to go through this. You don't tell him, oh, come, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, remove this thing. You will be using your hand to remove it. It's not going anywhere. Finally, we close, well, not closing, but we're closing on this segment. Then we'll conclude. And we'll look, we'll look at some scriptures when we conclude. Ephesians chapter 4. And you see what the Lord said to us concerning turning the new believer into a disciple. When he was born again, he came in as a babe. But he must be brought to the place where he is a disciple. Do you understand? A disciple who can disciple others. If he cannot disciple others yet, you haven't brought him to that place yet. And the fact that you call him pastor does not make him a disciple. The fact that you put him at the head of the largest church in your denomination does not make him a disciple. He must be thoroughly discipled. And you will see what makes him a disciple. From verse 11 to 21. Ephesians 4. 11 to 21. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Actually, it is believed that that last one is one, is one thing. Pastor and teacher. A pastor should be able to teach. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The role of the pastor is to equip you. The role of the evangelist is to equip you to do the work of God. Do you understand? It's not for you to remain a baby. You are supposed to mature. It's supposed to build you to the place where you are equipped. God can pick you up and say, look, you are looking for work now. You get a job in one corrupt organization. It's God that put you there to go there and change the organization. Not to go there and become corrupt or even worse than the others. You know, I say, don't worry. I will show you a holy way of doing this thing. And then you now do it worse than they have. You say, oh boy, now wow. This, this new Christian, what they bring, is a thing better than us. That is, I'm talking of corruption. It's not talking of something that's righteous. For the edifying of the body of Christ, to build the body up, not to build a structure, but to build the lives that have come under that canopy. Not to, not to set aside money and start building structures. We will see that the early church, for all the temple they had, they met in homes. The, the temple couldn't contain them. So they had to meet in homes. Once in a while they will have a massive 
place where they will gather, but that's it. They, they were not even in a position to gather the way we are gathering now, because they were under the watchful eyes of the authorities. So what happens if full-blown persecution starts in this country? What will happen to all our church buildings? The pastors will be the first not to come. So what, what, what has happened to them? Even house fellowship, we are putting banners in front of the house. Susan says house fellowship here. One persecution starts, you see all those banners will vanish. They will cease to be Christians. Verse 13. Till we all come, this thing is to continue. This equipping and edifying is to continue until we all come to the unity of the faith. We must believe the same thing that the Bible wants us to believe. We must not have different faiths. Church A cannot believe one thing and church B believe a different thing. It is, then there's a problem. One of them or both of them are not the church of, they're not the churches of God. We must believe the same thing. And whatever it is we are believing which is the same thing must be scriptural. A man of God, I heard a man of God say once that some people are calling him and telling him that, you know, the church of God must work together. We must be united. Unity of the body. And he was asking, what? United in what? Your doctrines are not scriptural and I must be united to you. I cannot. It's not arrogance. If you have a church doctrine that is not in the Bible, then you have a problem in that church. You cannot bring something from the commandments of men and tell us that that is doctrine. It's not doctrine. You did it for your convenience. Do all kinds of, we come up with all kinds of things. Do you, know, do you know how many lives have been damaged by churches that misinterpreted restitution? I've had, to, I've had cause to counsel many years ago some deeper lifers who left one, many of them left their wives, their first wives, and went to marry other people because they are, the wives they had married, maybe they were married when they were not born again. Where, does, where in the Bible does it tell you to do that? But they were doing that. And these were some, some of these men were irresponsible men. They abandoned the wives with the children and went and married another person in the same city. And you tell, you tell the children of this other woman that they should come to church. Which church? They will be wondering which church? The church that destroyed our lives? Even if you say you want to leave the woman, what of the children? See, we all come to the, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In the conclusion, we are going to see the easy to read version of verse 13. That we should no longer be children. Do you see why the pastors are there? We don't want babies. It's good that you're a baby, but you should no longer be a child. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Well, my wife bought papers which day was it and we're looking at papers. A man said that they, they killed an 18 foot python who swallowed two goats. Which python swallows two goats, please? How greedy can a python be? That when we saw the photograph, I was looking at the size of it. How did this, this, this tiny thing, how did they swallow this goat? And then, what was the whole testimony about? Oh, you know, my pastor had said that uh, he gave a word of prophecy that something, something, we should go to our villages and bring sand, and bring the sand and pray. That was the whole gamut of, they killed the python. Why do you tell lies? To prove what? Do you remember when Gideon broke down the altar of Baal, and the men carried stone and said, we are going to kill him. What did Gideon's father say? He said, ah, are you going to fight for Baal? If Baal is Baal, then let him kill Gideon. All those who say that they are going on pilgrimage on behalf of God, it's not God. They are doing your own pilgrimage. Because the state cannot support your pilgrimage. There is no sacrifice on your part. A true pilgrimage has sacrifice involved. How does the state pay for you? Where is the sacrifice? What, what, what did you go to do there? When, when did we start having Christians pilgrims bought? What does that mean? 
Can somebody show me in the, in, the, in the New Testament where we are told to go on pilgrimage, but we want to steal money? Secretary of Christian Pilgrimage Board was found to, to have embezzled thousands of dollars. A Christian. I heard that this is what they do. Because the, the pilgrims have some thousands that they allocate to them. They will give you $1,000 when you live here. Or they may not even give you when you live here. They will give you when you get there. That's the end. That's all they are going to get. The rest, they put in their pocket. They say, when you get to Nigeria, you... Is it in Nigeria you want to spend the money? So when you get here, you, they will give it to you. They will put the money in their pockets. And they say they are Christians. May the fire of the Almighty locate them where they are. These ones, we don't need to... It's not, we're not praying fire. And, the, the fire of God needs to locate them. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is what is happening today. All manner of people are bringing all kinds of things. Things that we didn't know of. Go and bring sand. Go and bring oil. Go and bring palm oil. Bring water. Bring this. Where did we see all these things? In the Bible... One person said, they told him to bring brand, five brand new padlocks. I said, they're about to lock up your life, finally. Five brand new padlocks. You will bring it to them, they will lock it, they will take the keys and throw it away. You are finished. And you know, they say it, we, they say it in a way that if you can, is there a way, the reason why they come to you is maybe your own requirements can be less than that one. And when they say less, is that maybe you will do one or two padlocks, not five. Maybe you take old, used padlock, not new. That's their, that's their focus. It's not that they don't want, they want the padlock ministry. But the, what they cannot, they cannot afford the new one. So maybe your own ministry you can do fairly used. A man went for, a man went for prophecy. He went so that they can prophesy. So the woman who was prophesying gave him a rate to pay. The man negotiated the amount down, like say from about 15, it was in England, from about, about say 5,000 pounds. He negotiated it down to 1,000 pounds. So the woman gave, after paying the 1,000 pounds, the woman gave him the word of prophecy. Some three weeks later, the man came back and said, the prophecy didn't work. He said, that's what you get when you negotiate. If you had paid the real money, the prophecy would have worked. Do, do you see the problem? That we like, that's what we like. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. This word, the truth in love. Many people have assumed that love means that we must pamper you. No. Did you see the love that God showed to the world? How did he show that love? His son. The love we are showing must kill the flesh. It must not pamper the flesh. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. In how many things? Into him who is the head, that is Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for they are defined of itself in love. We've talked about this before. We're going to move on. 17. I mean, not, not in this particular meeting, some several meetings ago. Verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You are not supposed to be walking, conducting your life the way the world conducts their lives. As they are changing fashion, you are not to change your fashion. Let them call you old school. Yes, I'm old school. Why must we change fashion? Having the understanding darkened. These are who you want to follow? Whose minds are futile? Whose understandings are darkened? Being alienated from the life of God? They are dead because of the ignorance, ignorant men that is in them? Because of the blindness of their heart? These are people you want to follow? Verse 19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all uncleanness with greediness. Is that these are people you want to follow? I see some people going to church with the, the dangerous skirts that they are wearing to church and I'm wondering, in which church are they going to sit down? Even to stand, which church are they standing? 
empty backs, well open front. The men are, are, are now wearing trousers that homosexuals wear, that reveals the crotch. And we say that's what we are wearing. What are we doing? Is there no decency in the church of God again? Were we, were we raised to be, to be vile and lewd? Did righteousness really touch our lives? Did we truly repent of sin? Verse 20. But you have not so what? Learned. Teaching. Is that what you learned? You have not so learned Christ. How were you taught about Christ? Did they teach you that Christ followed the way the world did things? Some people said, if Christ were alive today, he would ride a Rolls Royce. Because the colt on which he mounted to get to the temple in Jerusalem is the equivalent of a Rolls Royce in those days. Okay, let's not go into any long argument. Agreed. How many of you took that Rolls Royce to church and abandoned it in church? And stopped riding it again? How many of you flew that private jet once to the destination and left it there? And, and took normal plane back? Why do we try to justify iniquity? By bringing what is not scriptural into, in, 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 into it. And I'm saying it as Paul, as, as Paul said. May God punish them. For, for seeking to turn the gospel to, 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 to suit themselves. May the punishment of God come upon them without sparing them. Be, not because of them per se. But because they are turning the young lives into something else. When you tell them the truth, they point their hands to those men. You say, but what of this, but what of this, but what of this? I read Facebook and I see how the church of God is being maligned and insulted. They say all the church is about is money. I say it again as Paul repeated it. May they be cursed. Because for every effort that we put into this thing, they, what they are doing is making nonsense of the, of, the, of, the, of the effort that is going into it. These days you can cry yourself hawks. And you will still find people who will tell you that this bishop... He does this. What would you say? These are bishops that everybody considers to be God. Suddenly, people no longer pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of the, the, the God of bishops, so and so. The God of pastors. What is going on? Are we going mad? What is wrong? But this is what has given, this is what has happened. Untrained men. That's what's going on. Verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. This is what, what we are supposed to teach. The life of Christ. The things about Christ. Let's conclude. On April 18, 1906, at 5.12 a.m., there was an earthquake in San Francisco, USA. The earthquake lasted for just about one minute. There was a 20 to 25 second foreshock and a 42 second main shock. By the time it was over, the 7.7 .7 to 8.3 magnitude earthquake, a very powerful earthquake, had covered a 296 mile radius. Note, it's radius we're talking of, not diameter. Affecting places like southern Oregon, southern Los Angeles, and central Nevada. We're talking of an area that is almost the size of Nigeria. That earthquake. So if you put the epicenter at Abuja, you are more or less covering the entire span of the landmass of Nigeria. That's the earthquake. That finished San Francisco. The impact of the earthquake was a series of fires burning out of control, which accounted for about 90% of the de destruction. The earthquake didn't destroy, it was the fire that actually was the real issue. 3,000 lives were lost, 225,000 people were injured, and properties worth $400 billion in 1906 figures were damaged. 
Investigation showed that the remote cause of this powerful earthquake was the result of California gold rush. Years of digging for gold had caused a shift in the earth. Unfortunately, most people did not pay attention to building their homes on firm foundations. And so, when the earthquake struck, their homes were destroyed and they became homeless. Today, there is a similarity with what is happening in Christendom. Many people are focusing their lives on financial prosperity and turning God into a utilitarian being that is the same thing as digging for gold. But have not considered the impact of a collapse of money and the challenges or difficulties of life that is a powerful earthquake on their faith. The question is, have you? In Hebrews 12, 26 to 27, God said, a shaking is coming. So I'm going to shake again. And everything that does not belong will fall away. Are you prepared for that shaking? By the way, this recession is part of the shaking. And many of us were never prepared for it. That's why we are murmuring and complaining. Will your foundation withstand a shaking from God? In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read that. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What do you note about, this, about these two builders? The conditions that came against them were the same. The same conditions. The difference was in the, the foundation that they built on. If Christ is not your foundation, whatever house you have built will crash. If it, if it doesn't crash while you are here on earth, I guarantee you it will crash. By the time you are standing in heaven, you will discover that they will tell you, you are not going this way. This is where you belong. Because you built on sand. Today, there are fires burning out of control. And there are preachers who are taught for doctrines, the commandment of men. Economics, they are teaching economics, common sense, business methods, wisdom nuggets, human philosophies, psychology, and so on and so forth. In fact, I've heard heard many people, many pastors now have wisdom, wisdom nuggets. Every day they they, they release one thing or the other. And when you look at those so-called wisdom nuggets, you cannot see a scriptural basis for that. It's, it's just common sense. That has nothing to do with God. And they say they are pastors. And these have failed both them and their congregation. The present shaking has engulfed everyone, whether Christian or not. Being able to withstand and overcome this present hardship without murmuring, living unrighteously or falling apart will depend on you following the word of God as has been declared to you and as is written in the Bible. The shaking of God always comes. Note that. It will always come. It has occurred in every age. And is presently occurring in our nation today. And will occur again and again at different times and in different ages. Stop blaming Buhari. It has revealed who we are. We are more wicked now. More unrighteous. More unholy. More evil. Cheating people, doing whatever we like. It is therefore very crucial that believers in Christ are devotedly, dedicatedly, and painstakingly discipled. 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. This was Paul's parting shot by the Spirit of God to Timothy and to every one of us. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Is that in your Bible? Do we hear rebu- rebukes in our churches anymore? Do we have people convicting sinners of, 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 of sin again? No more. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to favorites. He warned. That's why I'm doing my own, my own bit. We must do our own bit. It may, it may be unpopular. But... I don't know when God became popular. God was never a popular person anyway. We must do this thing painstakingly so that they can become like Christ and be unfazed in the face of life's challenges. I see many pastors now. Now This is now they are trying to preach exhortation because there is a recession. When there was boom, they didn't prepare them for a recession. There was bound to be a recession. You cannot be spending money, stealing money, earning less and you will not enter into a recession. It's not possible. But the people believe that even as incomes are low, we must continue the same way. In, in, in which world? And what is sad, it is Christians who are even driving this, this, this whole crusade. They have not gone to save souls, but they want to talk about the economy. We must note that in discipling believers in Christ, our focus must be that both the discipler and the disciples are of Christ. Note that. They must be of Christ. A discipler who is not of Christ cannot disciple somebody to follow Christ. Not of some founder or bishop, pastor or prophet. Our approach to discipleship must never be the teaching of church doctrines which are essentially man-made. Neither are we to teach about the founder of the local assembly or denomination. Nor are we to teach about the pastor, all of which make up very poor materials for a spiritual foundation and which can never save those who build their lives on such foundations. Our focus must be the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is a firm, tried, tested and proven foundation. And I'm now reading Ephesians 4.13 in the easy to read version. This work must continue until we are all joined together in what we believe and in what we know about the Son of God. Our goal is to become like a full-grown man, to look just like Christ and have all his perfections. Hence, discipleship cannot be a programmed event with a strict time frame or syllabus. Instead, it must be fluid, adapted to each individual's capacity to learn and apply what has been taught, and based on a personal interaction and relationship between the discipler and the disciple. There must be relationship. Thank God for the internet. Next week, what we are going to look at next week will, 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 will prove this point. You cannot truly <coughs> disciple somebody. And that they are just a true disciple. A true disciple is a true disciple. At the end of the day, the fundamental issue is whether the disciple or the disciple looks like, talks like, acts like, and does as Christ 
Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 3. What is it that Christ is saying? This must be all with open place. We hold it up in the class, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We all will be one, no deception, no covering, no hiding. Many of us come to church with eating agendas. We are lying. We are saying something else, but we are smiling out, outward. But deep in our heart, we have a dagger drawn against our brother and our sister. We cannot begin to see that change.